Listeners, before diving into this episode, I just want to put out a huge trigger warning. In this episode, I will be discussing eating disorders, weight, mental facilities, and other mental health issues. If you are easily triggered by this, I highly suggest that you listen with caution or do not listen to this episode. I will preface every episode with this trigger warning because I will be discussing very touchy and sensitive topics that some may not be able to handle. I want everyone to feel safe in this environment and to just keep in mind that this podcast is an educational podcast meant to spread awareness on eating disorders and my journey through them. Everything mentioned in these episodes will be real and genuine content. Welcome back to Reasons for Recovery. If you guys haven't noticed or heard, the sound is way better now. And if you've been listening since the beginning, you'll know that I haven't really had the best setup on this podcast. I've literally just been recording this like straight to audacity with no microphone, no headphones, nothing at all, like just straight onto my MacBook. So that's why the sound has been so poor recently. But I discussed in the last episode that I had a microphone coming in. So yeah, it finally came in the same day as I recorded that last episode. So from here on out, the audio quality will be immensely better, as you can already tell by the sound of this podcast. For those who are curious, I am using just the classic Snowball microphone. Got a good deal on it, and I've heard so many good things about it. I know a lot of gamers and streamers use this type of microphone, and they sound pretty good, so hopefully it works for me as well, but I love it. So here's the new sound for the podcast. In today's episode, I will be actually shifting away from what this podcast is all about, which is like, you know, my reasons for why I chose recovery, and today I decided that I will just share some stories with you instead. For those who have listened or just know my story, you will know that I spent a little bit of time in a psychiatric unit to get help for my eating disorder. It was kind of like what jump-started my road to recovery. This episode will entail the stories that I have from that place. Horror stories, happy stories, sad stories, all in between. Now, before I go ahead and start this episode, I just want to say that every psychiatric unit is different, and I know that everyone's story is different for anyone who's ever been in a psychiatric unit or just set foot in one. These are my own personal experiences and stories that I faced when I was admitted. My time in the unit was not that pretty at all. Yes, there were some moments that did help guide me in a better direction, But for the most part, it was not a fun time. But again, I know everybody's story is different. Everyone has a different time in a psychiatric unit. This is just what I personally experienced. If you've listened to the episode of my backstory, you will know how I got into the unit in the first place. So if you haven't heard that episode yet, I highly suggest that you go back and listen to that one before you listen to this one. So you'll understand 
how I really got there in the first place. And that, I think that's the second episode that I ever posted. I think it's called My Backstory. Go ahead and listen to that one first because it kind of entails my journey up until I was admitted into the psychiatric unit. But I'll go ahead and just start off with some stories that I have from my time in the psychiatric unit. And I will go ahead and start with the horror stories first. And then I'll kind of work my way down to more happier stories to end on a lighter note. Because I know I said that this place was absolutely terrible and I hated it, but there are some good stories that come along with it, so yeah. Now, by no means am I trying to, like, bash people that were in that facility with me. I know that they couldn't help some of the issues that they had, so please do not think that I am meaning any harm in these stories. Now, to be honest, I think I was probably one of the most stable people in that facility. I honestly didn't think I belonged there, but, you know, the doctors thought otherwise. I thought I would have succeeded much more in an eating disorder clinic rather than in a psychiatric ward, but it's whatever. It's said and done. But I will be talking about other people in these stories. I'm obviously not going to name any names because I didn't know their names in the first place, but, um... Just don't think that I'm trying to harm them in any way. This was just my personal experiences with others in a psychiatric unit. Not trying to harm anybody, not trying to make fun of anybody. So let me just preface that. (laughs) But I'll just go ahead and start with one of the scariest things about that place. And the scariest thing about the psychiatric unit was my neighbor I was in a room at the very end of the hallway because there was just like the unit that I was on was just one single hallway and the man that was living next to me had very very severe mental issues and I think he was also um, either autistic or had down syndrome I cannot remember but for the most part he just had a lot of mental issues and wasn't completely there and every time I would go to my room he would follow right behind me and always ask what I was doing and always wanted to kind of be in my business. And keep in mind, I had an extremely bad attitude back then because anorexia makes you have a very bad and crappy attitude. So I would ignore him and I would always try to shut the door behind me. But if you're familiar with mental hospital doors, they are very, very, very hard to shut. Basically, if you, like, look up what a mental hospital doorknob looks like, it's literally just like this, um, I don't even know how to explain it, like, you can't close it really well, because there's no handle, there's no doorknob, because, um, if there was a doorknob, that could create a lot of issues for people to, like, attach things to it and try to harm them, so there's no doorknobs in a mental hospital, it's all, like, weird like jutted out pieces of a door that you could turn and it would close and open it's very very hard to explain but you could like look up a picture to give you a better idea of what it was but just take my word for it it was extremely hard to shut because there was no grip that you could have on the doorknob because if there was a grip that could lead into ways that people could use that for harming themselves but you know um So it was very hard to shut. That's what I'm trying to get at. 
So it would always end up opening back up every time I tried to shut it and it would always allow him to get in. And I remember yelling at him a lot because he would always try to get in my room and I would always try to slam the door, which ultimately I would fail because it wouldn't shut properly. So I would always yell at him to like stay away and back up, but he would just keep trying to come in and doctors would always have to ask him to leave every time because that man freaked me out a lot. But I knew deep down inside that he really couldn't help it. He couldn't help the way he was. And it was something that I was just going to have to deal with while I was there. But besides that man, there was also another older man who was there that probably creeped me out even more. He didn't follow me into my room at all, but he would definitely, I guess you could say, like, harass me and do very, very creepy things. First off, this man would always pace up and down the halls. Empty halls. Um, they were always constantly empty because nobody ever came out of their room or they would always stay in like the common area, but this guy would always pace up and down the halls. Then when I would be the only one walking down that hallway, he would always look me straight in the eyes and then walk right into me purposefully. And sometimes he would even fall onto me like he was drunk or something, even though he wasn't, but... Whether it be walking down the hall, or when we would wait outside for the dining room for food, he would always find a way to, like, bump into me, or make it known that he was around me. But yeah, he, he would literally fall onto me, even when we were standing completely still. But other than that, he would always also constantly ask for my age, which was kind of creepy. And I would tell him the same answer every time. I'm 19, and I'm probably the youngest one here. And he would just always laugh at that very creepily. And this happened every single day, multiple times a day. And the same reaction would come out of him each time. This man would also carry around a New Testament Bible. And he would, like, while he was pacing up and down the hallways, he would read it. And... He would always walk up to me and ask me if I wanted to read with him. At this point, I was trying to work on, you know, my politeness and stuff, because, like I just said, I was very rude and irritable back then. So I would always just go, you know, like, no, thank you, that's fine. But every time, every time, he would always insist, and then he'd start reading to me in a very, very weird voice. Like, it wasn't even a normal voice. It was very creepy and weird, <laughs> but he would always read the New Testament to me, and even if I didn't want him to, he always did, but I learned by day two that this was something that I'd also have to deal with on a daily basis, and I eventually just accepted it, even though it really made me uncomfortable. There also was one last guy who freaked me out in particular, and... He was an ex-convict, and I only knew that because he told me that, <laughs> and all the other people there said he was one too, and he also wore the exact same outfit every single day. I don't know if that's just because that's all that he brought with him, but that he only wore one like jumpsuit every single day, and he would always ask me how old I was too, 
And then he would always laugh at me and tease me that I was the youngest one there in that unit, which I definitely was because everybody else there was either very, very old and like elderly, or they were like middle-aged like men in their 30s or 40s. Oh, and also, just to add a cherry on top, there was this older woman with dementia who was there that would always constantly scream in the middle of the night for no reason. So she was always waking me up. (laughs) But I mean, I would always fall back asleep because I was so drugged up in that unit. But every night, without warning, she would always just scream really, really loudly. (laughs) And I mean, I know she didn't have a reason to. It was just her dementia, you know, but... It was just something I had to accept while I was there. The people were obviously a lot more mentally unstable than I was, and I knew they couldn't help that, so it was just something I had to accept if I was going to stay there for a while. But besides older creepy dudes and scary older women making me feel very uncomfortable, there were also a lot of other nightmares that occurred there. The staff there was not the nicest whatsoever, but... Uh, The only nice people there were my social worker and this one nurse in particular that took my blood pressure every day. She always remembered me because she called me Miss Low Heart Rate because uh, due to my anorexia, I had a very low BPM, which I think was around like 30 beats per minute or something like that. So every time she took my blood pressure, she was like, oh yeah, you're Miss Low Heart Rate. (laughs) and she was just very nice about it in general, but all the other nurses were kind of disrespectful and rude, but honestly, I don't blame them because if I had to work with those type of people every single day, I would definitely have an attitude as well. (laughs) But there was one nurse in particular that took my blood every morning, which was routine in a mental hospital. Every morning around 4 a.m. or so, I was awakened with a needle plunging through my arm. Yeah, not the greatest way to be woken up, but each morning, that's how I was awakened. By a needle plunging through my arm, taking my blood out of me. But every morning, I asked the exact same question to the nurse that took my blood. I would always ask, what time is it? Because, like, I was so groggy, so I never really understood like what time it was even though I knew it was like 4 a.m. every morning but I was always so out of it so I was I asked him every single morning what time is it and he would always just sigh and say it's 4 (laughs) a.m. in this like groggy really mean voice kind of sounded like he didn't want to be there but again I don't really blame him for the attitude because you obviously if you're a nurse you'll know this if you have to have like a shift extremely early in the morning or like overnight like these people did you would probably have a little bit of an attitude as well or you would at least just be a little a little short with people because you know it's it's really early in the morning you would rather be at like at home asleep (laughs) so I don't blame them for being like that but it's just how I spent my mornings I spent my mornings every single day being woken up at 4 (laughs) a.m. And I really wish that I could have been woken up in a different way besides a needle being plunged through my arm, but, you know, that's, it is what it is. And no, they did not provide me with a warning beforehand. I know they're supposed to, like, wake you up and say, hey, it's time to take your blood. They never really did that. They just kind of 
tapped me and said, all right, here you go. And they just stuck an arm, like stuck a needle in me, into my arm without warning, really. So yeah, but like I said before, I knew that I was going to have to deal with that. So I just got used to it at that point. The blood drawings were probably one of the more annoying things, as you could tell. I always felt so weak there because that place took so much blood from me. But another annoying thing that we did there was something called group time. And if you've ever experienced any time in a mental hospital, you will know exactly what group time is. Group occurred a few times a day throughout the day where we would just do either like a craft or an activity or we would talk about like a cliche life lesson. One of the times that we had group, it was like an activity time where we could paint or draw or make bracelets, do puzzles, any of that. And I kind of felt like I was in preschool, but I kind of enjoyed this time a lot because it was the only interesting thing that happened all day. Other than that, there was really nothing much to do. So during this hour, we had to do crafts and all. You know, it it helped me out a lot to make the day pass by. Also, during this hour that we had to do crafts, the group leader played this very annoying childish music, like, I'm talking like maybe um, modern pop, like what you'd hear on the radio every single day, and it was probably the most annoying part because I felt like I was being brainwashed with this absolutely childish, terrible music, kind of felt like I was in a cult, <laughs> and you know, it was just something I had to deal with, but it was very annoying, and I definitely didn't enjoy the music, but at least, you know, we had craft time, and we had some time to spend outside of our rooms and not cooped up all day waiting for the time just to go by. Besides the craft time, we also had other group times, which were absolutely stupid, and I hated them. And one of the things that we did was called chair exercising. Something to get us, you know, up and moving because we weren't allowed to go anywhere outside of the one hallway that we were roomed in. Yeah, we weren't even allowed to go outside, like, into the real world. So <laughs> we were just, like, stuck in that one hallway. So we did chair exercising to kind of get us moving. And I hated this group time so much. You know why? Because I was super bony and super weak, which made the exercise very exhausting. My butt was like so sore and my tailbone was like digging into the metal chair the entire time. And I couldn't do every move like I should have been able to because I was so bony and weak. And I remember we only did it twice when I was there. But I remember during the first time, I literally cried <laughs> the entire time because I was in so much pain and I was so weak that I, I, I was just crying out of the fact that one, I was in pain and two, I was so upset with myself that I couldn't do basic like chair exercises that anybody could do. Like, this is stuff that like elderly people do at the community center <laughs> to like get in shape and stuff. And I couldn't even do it. It made me feel so terrible about myself. And the fact that I couldn't do simple leg movements in a chair. That's how terrible it got and how painful it got to do just simple activities. 
and it was literally the worst hour of group time that I had there. Other than those groups, we also had those sappy, like, talk about your feelings group times. Kind of like a therapy session, which I really hated a lot, because I hated, like, talking about my feelings with other people. In one group session, we talked about, like, how we got in the hospital in the first place, and what we could do different to, like, change that once we got out of the hospital. Then, in another session, we learned about character traits and what our best ones were. And then, in another session, we talked about empathy and what exactly that was and how to have empathy for others. And there were many other sessions, which I will get into later, but you can tell that this was like your stereotypical therapy session, so you could imagine how boring it was to me, especially for someone that didn't like to talk about their feelings and didn't really like therapy in general. Around day three of going to those boring sessions that happened all throughout the day, I was so sick and tired of them. I only liked the craft time and that was literally it. Like, I didn't enjoy anything else. So, I would just stay cooped up in my room for the rest of the week. And when it came time for me to do group, I would just tell the leader I was too tired and I'd just sleep through it. And that was a huge no-no in a mental hospital. You were not necessarily required to go to group, but it definitely helped show, like, your progress and if you weren't seen in those groups, it wasn't a good sign for you. It looked bad on your records and kind of deterred your progress in the hospital. So those last three days that I was there, I completely skipped like the majority of group times, which did not look good for me. But I just couldn't handle those cringy sessions anymore and they were just so painful to sit through and I just hated them. They, like, I hated every moment of it, especially in the session where we talked about why we were there. It was, like, super duper sad to hear other people's stories because they were in that hospital for much more brutal reasons than mine, and it was just very, very shocking, to say the least, and I just couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> but the only thing that was really keeping me sane the entire time I was in that facility was the phone time. If you aren't familiar with phone time, it's basically this time of the day where you could call anyone and talk to them for about 10 minutes or so. And you could call multiple people during your specified phone time, but the conversations with them specifically had to be about 10 minutes long. We had a call time in the morning, there was one right after lunch, and then right around 7 or 8 at night. And I used this privilege and spent as long as I could on that phone because any contact I had with the outside world was, like, the best contact ever. I only knew two numbers off the top of my head, though, um, which was kind of depressing. <laughs> I could only remember my parents' phone number and my brother's phone number. And I remember the night that I actually got admitted to the hospital I remember I called my absolute best friend in the world, Natalie. Um, I would call her up and I would tell her, um, you know, 
basically what I'm going to be doing for this entire week. Like, hey, I'm going to the mental hospital. I'm not going to be out. But don't worry, I'm going to call you while I'm in there. Like, we'll we'll talk the entire week, I promise. And um, I told her I'd update her on everything. But then when I got to the facility and got my phone taken away and everything else, I couldn't remember her number because the phone that was uh, specifically used for phone time was like a um, toll booth kind of phone. Like, it was just your standard, like, handheld press the buttons kind of phone like you couldn't look up contacts like on a cell phone like you didn't have that it was just one standard phone that everybody used just like a home phone kind of but it was like a handheld phone kind of like you see kind of like what you see in prisons but obviously this wasn't a prison but anyway I could only remember two cell phone numbers off the top of my head and I couldn't remember Natalie's phone number which absolutely crushed me so bad because If you don't know me personally, you definitely don't know who Natalie is. She is my number one supporter through literally everything. She is my absolute best friend in the entire world. I've known her since we were like four, I think. And we're still kicking it like 16 years later. We're still here. And um, she has been my number one supporter through absolutely everything. Literally every high and every low in my life, she has been there. And she was my number one supporter throughout my entire recovery process. And now you can see why it absolutely crushed me when I could not remember her phone number. Because I promised her I'd update her that entire week. And I promised her, you know, I would tell her everything. And I remember crying because I was so scared that I would just leave her hanging and I didn't want to leave her wondering if I was okay. Like, I wanted to tell her everything, but I couldn't because my stupid (laughs) brain couldn't remember her phone number. And that was entirely due to anorexia because when you suffer from that, you have really bad memory loss or just bad memory in general. And I just couldn't remember her phone number off the top of my head. I couldn't. And that made me so mad, but I had no choice. So when I called my parents the first time, I told them, like, hey, let Natalie know I'm okay and I'm safe, because I really want her to know, out of all the people out there that I'm keeping in contact with, I want her to know that I'm okay. Looking back at it, I don't know why, (laughs) I really don't know why I didn't just ask my parents, like, hey, can you give me Natalie's phone number? Because that would have been so much easier. I'm an idiot, okay? (laughs) But yeah, I mean... I don't know what I was thinking. I could have just asked my parents, hey, can you give me Natalie's number and let me call her? But I wasn't thinking, so I left her hanging that entire week, and I sincerely apologize, Natalie, when you're listening to this. She's not going to be listening to this for a very long time, because she's actually on a mission right now. She's a missionary for the uh, Church of Latter-day Saints. I think I'm saying that right. I hope I'm saying that right or else I'm going to offend a lot of people. Um, but yeah, she's a member of the LDS Church and she's serving on a mission right now. And I can't see her until March of 2022. And she told me that once she gets back, she's going to be binging all my podcast episodes. So Natalie, when you get to this episode in particular, I hope that you know that I absolutely love you and thank you for supporting me through everything, my highs and my lows and all in between. So yeah, sorry to get sappy there for a second. But anyways, my point was I wanted her to know everything because she was my absolute best friend 
and I wanted her to know that I was okay, but I was stupid and couldn't remember her own phone number, so couldn't really do that. Phone time was my absolute favorite time, but it was also an extremely sad time as well because I was talking to the people I knew that I wouldn't see for a while, and I wanted to see them in person so bad and hug them and tell them thank you for everything and supporting me through this journey. The first call that I ever made when I got there was actually to my brother and his wife. They were always so concerned for me, but they never really sat down and talked to me like my parents did about all of this. But they were always there for me behind the scenes. They were always worried about me. And they wanted to see me get better. So they knew that going to the hospital was obviously a very good step for me to get in that direction. So I called them first. And they were so happy to hear my voice. They were so happy to know that I was getting help. And I remember I called them every single day. And I even got to talk to their daughter, who is my niece. I got to talk to her on the phone, who was barely a year old at the time. So she obviously couldn't talk uh, that well. But now she's about to be two and a half, I think. And she is probably, like, my best friend ever. (laughs) So, yeah. Phone time was really, really sad sometimes, but, you know, it was great that I got to talk to the people that I loved the most. The nurses there also knew that I didn't really belong or fit in that well there, being the youngest one there, and they allowed me to kind of, like, monopolize the phone, and I would stay on it way longer than 10 minutes at a time. Like, I know my conversations lasted a lot longer than they were supposed to. Yes, the staff was rude the majority of the time that I was there, but I think that they definitely had a soft spot for me because they knew that I wouldn't give them a hard time and that I'd actually cooperate for the most part, unlike everybody else there. So they kind of slacked off on me a little bit. (laughs) So the times that we got to eat were the absolute worst because I was still very much suffering from an eating disorder, so my food habits were not any different at all. Like I said, I don't think I really belonged in the mental hospital quite yet. I definitely needed to go to a treatment facility that was specifically for those with an eating disorder. So the food that was given to me It wasn't necessarily, like, monitored. Nobody was really tracking what I was eating, how much I was eating. No one really cared how much or how little I ate. No one was there to track my intake, and no one was there to make sure I was eating because it wasn't a place specifically designated for those suffering from an eating disorder. I was in a place that was really just for those with mental health issues, not for an eating disorder. So I still had free range to pick through and choose what I wanted to eat. Every meal at that hospital absolutely terrified me because it had food that I was terrified of. And one night we had, I remember we had spaghetti with like this meat sauce. And for dessert, it was like a cup of fruit with a whipped topping. I remember I picked off the meat sauce because I was terrified of carbs, so I didn't even eat the noodles, 
and then I only ate the fruit in the fruit cup and picked off all the whipped topping because that was calories and sugar and carbs and I didn't want that. And it was like that for every single meal. And of course, since I wasn't monitored, I was completely able to do anything I wanted with my food. I didn't make any progress at all with my weight because I wasn't being monitored like I should have been. And when I got out of the hospital, I actually weighed less than when I went in because I wasn't monitored. And that was within a week's worth of time. I almost had to stay longer in the hospital because I had lost a little bit of weight and they were a little worried that I wasn't doing well. But I ended up getting out on the time that I was scheduled to get out and they were just hoping that I would, I guess, make my own progress on my own time. But, yeah. (laughs) Um, I know everything that I've said so far has been pretty depressing and pretty sad, but there are a few sweeter stories that I have, so I'll get into those to end it on a much lighter note. (laughs) One of the only things that really got me through that week in that hospital was one girl in particular, another patient. Yes, I know I said that the people there were very creepy and very weird and much older than me, But there was this one girl in particular who was different. She wasn't there long at all. She was only there for, I think, like a day or two. But she was that little burst of light that I needed to help me keep going in that facility. She was very close to my age and was the only one there who didn't really belong there either. She told me that she was a security guard at a mall And she went through a screening that everybody has to go through when you sign up to be a security guard. And she revealed to the person that she had suicidal thoughts and they sent her to that mental hospital. That's literally all I knew about her. I never got her name or any other info about her because, you know, HIPAA violation. (laughs) So... I wasn't able to keep in contact with her outside of that mental facility. And that sucks because she was the only one there that really, you know, understood me and could talk to me because she was of my age and understood me a lot more than all the older people there did. Because when I told everybody else the reason that I was there, they didn't quite understand because they were much older and much more unaware of what an eating disorder really was. I remember one lady in particular, she came up to me after like a group therapy where we told the reasons why we were there. She came up to me and she was like, man, I wish I was like you. And I was like, why do you say that? And she said, I I just, I wish I had an eating disorder too. Like I really need one because I'm so fat. I need, I need to lose some weight and I, I would love to be your size. And Obviously, that's not something you say to a person suffering from an eating disorder, but she she was messed up mentally, and she couldn't she didn't really understand what an eating disorder was and what was right and wrong to say to me, but it really messed me up a lot, and the fact that nobody there understood why I was hurting, it, it just, it made my time there a lot worse, but this girl in particular made it a lot better because she understood what an eating disorder was and she came from 
you know, a generation that was much more cultured on the subject and knew what it was about. And I'm just so upset that I couldn't even get her name or any information about her because, you know, it was a violation. We couldn't do that. And I, I really want to know how she's doing now. I really wish that I could get back in touch with her and get to talk to her. But I literally have no idea where she is now and no way of finding out where she is. Because, like I said, I never got any name or contact info from her because we would have gotten in trouble for it. So, <laughs> I can't even, like, describe to you anything about her, even if she was, like, listening to this right now. She probably wouldn't even know that it was her. But, along with that girl, there was also my social worker. She was also the only one that really understood me as well. Because she was a little bit younger than the other nurses there. And she was much more informed on the subject matter. She had the same mentality as I did, that I didn't really belong in a mental hospital, that I should have had care somewhere else in, like, an eating disorder clinic. She had that mentality, so she always pulled me aside to her office for, like, personal meetings where we would talk about what I should do after I got out of the hospital. She showed me a lot of great meal plans and, like, nutrition plans for once I got out to start recovery, and she also showed me a lot of eating disorder facilities and, like, clinics that I could go to for more help on recovery. She was just very, very helpful. She was really good at her job, and she gave me the best advice out of anyone there because there were a lot of doctors that talked to me, a lot of nutritionists, a lot of psychiatrists, all of those people. They all talked to me, and we had our own personal meetings, but none of them really matched her. She was so much better than all of them. She definitely outnumbered them all. And all of the rest of my time there was pretty boring. It really just involved a lot of me cooped up in my room, sleeping, because I was so drugged up all the time, and it made me very, very woozy. <laughs> um, the days were actually pretty short, considering that a good chunk of it, I was sleeping. I slept a lot. I talked about that in another podcast episode. I, I slept the entire time I was there, basically, because I was, I was on so many different drugs that knocked me out and... On top of that, they were taking my blood every morning, and that definitely drained me. But I slept throughout the entire day and the entire night, and it was from everything that they put me on. But in all honesty, it was still a step in the right direction to jumpstart my recovery. I know it probably would have been a lot better if I were admitted somewhere different that would have been more focused on eating disorders, but again, it was still a step in the right direction regardless, and I'm still very thankful that my experience wasn't as bad as other stories I've heard. My time in a mental hospital was not as terrifying as others. I have a lot of friends that had many more worse horror stories than I have, but it was still literal hell, and I hated it. <laughs> but I'm glad to not be in that mindset anymore to where I would need to be back in a mental hospital. And 
I really don't want anyone else out there that's listening to have to deal with that either. But sometimes it's kind of the only option to stay in that facility for a while and to get mental help. But there are also many other opportunities and resources out there that can help you to where you won't get to that point that you think you need to be in a mental facility to get help. And those resources that I'm talking about are listed in the description for you to use and for and feel free to use them to your advantage, you know, talk to somebody, get some help that you need so you won't, you know, end up in the situation like I did. You guys are also free to reach out to me as well to talk about anything, any advice, any anything at all questions, whatever it may be, if you just like to chat, whatever. Like, I'm, I'm here to talk, and the details for that will be in the description as well. You know, the ways that you can contact me, you can contact me through Instagram DM, or I've now offered my email for you guys to, you know, email me if you have anything you need to talk about. But, yeah, that's it for you guys. I hope this episode... Uh, was a little informative. Also, you know, just kind of give you an insight of what it was like in a mental hospital. I know this kind of strayed away from what I usually talk about, which is just like my reasons for recovery. But again, this kind of does tie into reasons for recovery because a big reason why I chose recovery was because I didn't want to get back into that mindset again that would lead me to a mental hospital. So, I guess this was also kind of like a reason (laughs) for my recovery. Um, But yeah, I thought I'd just give you like a little story time episode because I I like sharing stories with you guys as well, not just giving you, you know, life lessons and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that's it for this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it and I hope that you also enjoyed the audio much better as well because... Thankfully, the rest of these episodes will sound so much nicer and clearer and have much better quality because I've actually got a setup now, and I'm very happy about that. So, yay to that. (laughs) But anyways, thank you guys so much for listening, and also thank you guys for 150 listeners on Spotify. That's awesome. I never really thought it would get that far because, like I said before, I kind of just made this for, like, friends and family members, but... Now it's spreading and going all across the world, so I'm very happy about that. Thank you so much. But yeah, I'll see you guys in the next episode, and remember to stay safe and healthy.